Uh, so thank you, Mark, for leading us this morning. Thank you for reading those wonderful scriptures to us and the songs as well that reflected uh, that. That's good. So today, a burning issue that I'm sure concerns every one of you. Eh? Should you eat meat that has been <laughs> offered in sacrifice in pagan temple or pagan worship? I'm sure that causes you to lose sleep at night, doesn't it? about whether you should eat such meat, whether that's where your Sunday joint has come from, etc. That's the Paul, that's the question that Paul is being asked here by these Christians at Corinth. And just as you're thinking, well, I can just shut off now, I don't need to listen to any of this. Well, let me just say that I think there are some important truths within this passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So just briefly, Corinth, as you know, Corinth's a really important city in the world at that time. One of the great cities, been rebuilt by the Romans about 40 years before this, after the Romans had destroyed it about 100 years before that. And it was an important city because of where it was. It was on that little strip of land between North and South Greece. Um, you can look it up. It's still a city called Corinth today, but it's much smaller place. They reckon that there's about 250,000 free people lived in Corinth at that time and with about 400,000 slaves is one estimate. A very big, vibrant city because of where it was. It was on that north-south, everyone going north to south had got to pass through this little narrow strip of land and it, so it became a, a, a sort of trading point, both north-south and indeed east-west. And uh, like all sort of uh, cities of trade, that meant there were many different people and people of different backgrounds that lived there. And uh, also because it's a city of trade, it became a very wealthy place, at least for, at least for some. So multicultural, uh, wealthy. And the other thing that tends to go along with that, isn't it, is, is therefore you had a whole worship of a whole range of sort of different gods and different religions practiced there. And of course the other thing that goes along with money and wealth all too often and power is sex. And so Corinth was a place of debauchery. It was well known throughout the ancient world for its wealth and its luxury but also for its drunkenness and debauchery. The temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was there up on the hill. And they said that there were a thousand sacred prostitutes that worked from that temple. And they would go out into the city at night and offer their services. So a place, a very, a very cosmopolitan place, but Paul, read about it in Acts 18, Paul had gone to Corinth on that, on that missionary journey and he'd stayed there and he'd preached the gospel and people had come to know Jesus Christ and the church had been planted and grown. And here they are, he's in correspondence now, he, he stayed there for about 18 months we know, here he is in correspondence with them and they've written to him asking various questions, one of which is this, so what about food sacrifice to idols? And I think the way they phrased this question was sort of uh, something like, 
And in some of your Bibles, you'll have, you'll have it as in quotation marks, not perhaps in the NIV that we read. But in some of your Bible, Paul, you'll, they think that Paul is quoting back to them what they are saying. And one of the things that they say in verse 1 is, we all possess knowledge. We all possess knowledge. I think they're saying, Paul, we know the answer here. <laughs> we know the answer, but not, all of, not everyone agrees with us. So what we'd like you to do, Paul, is to just confirm that we've got it right. Then we can tell these people to shut up and we can carry on eating the meat that we want to eat. That's why he says we all possess knowledge. And in verse 4, which is possibly also a quotation, they say, an idol is nothing at all. So the fact that this meat has been offered to idols, it doesn't make any difference, does it, Paul? And it's true. All through the Old Testament, you'll see on numerous occasions, the prophets of Israel denounce the Israelite community for worshipping idols. And they say things like, how stupid is this? You go and cut down a tree, you take part of the tree and you carve it into an idol and you stick it on a stand and you worship it. And then what do you do with the rest of the wood? You use it as firewood. How stupid is that? An idol is just a piece of wood. It's not a god. So yes, you're right, an idol is nothing at all. And then in verse 4 also, they say there is no god but one. Yeah, absolutely true. Paul agrees with that. There is no God but one. As he goes on to say, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things come and through whom we live, for whom we live. And there's but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So Paul says, guys, you've got it right. You're absolutely right. Worship, eating meat that's offered to idols makes no difference at all. And you can think, you can almost hear them think, oh, thank goodness for that, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for agreeing with us. But there's a but <laughs> in verse 7. But not everyone knows this. Not everyone has your knowledge. You ever had a disagreement with somebody where you've argued about something? could be anything, it could even be about arguing about what you believe God word, God's word says. And you have an argument with somebody and it sort of ratchets up, becomes more serious. And maybe you were right. And of course I'm always right. And maybe they were wrong. But what's the result of your argument? Is it, is it an increase in knowledge? <laughs> no. <laughs> It's a damaged relationship. It's hurt. It's pain. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all done it. I've even done it, sadly, all too often in church. You can win the battle and lose the war, as they say. And that's what Paul is going to go on and tell these Christians at Corinth. Your facts are right. Your logic is good. But, your but has got various attachments to it. First of all, your knowledge is limited. The man who thinks he knows something, he says in verse 2, does not yet know as he ought to know. Now Paul, just to be clear here, Paul is not saying that knowledge and knowledge 
about God particularly and how we should live is unimportant. He's not saying that at all. It is really important that we know what God wants us to know. And we know that primarily through this. And that's why it's so important that we preach from it, read from it, think about it, absorb it. Yeah? He's not saying it that it, that's not important. It is really, really important. And we could look at a whole range of scriptures that tell us how important that is. And all of us have a responsibility to do this. And it's not just about learning facts from the Bible, good as that is, right? It's not like my old history lesson. We were talking about lessons the other week with somebody and how perhaps different they are today to when I was at school, which is, you know, I mean, then it was chalk on the board and all the rest of it. But, but for history, what I remember for history was all I had to learn was a load of facts. You know, when did King Charles II become king? And when did he get executed? And what happened next? And what date, etc. The Bible's not like that, but God has given us brains and minds, right? And he expects us to use our minds and our, and our thinking processes as we read God's word. It isn't just about learning a few facts. It's much more than that. But the point is, what we need to remember as good as knowledge is and as important as seeking out truth is, we do not know it all. We will never get it all right. There will always be people, even Christians, Bible-believing Christians, who will have different views about some things than we do. And what are you going to do then? What are we going to do? Are we going to just going to argue? It is important we think and it is important we discuss. But is that where we take, do we take it on from there? There are wonderful Christians of times past who now we look at, look at them and there's much to admire and follow, but we realize they didn't get it all right. So Luther was anti-Semitic, sadly. Great man of God, used greatly by God and much that we can learn from him. But his views about the Jews, I think, were sadly wrong. Whitfield from Gloucester, that great man of God, used by God again across the world. Paul will know this, of course, or so will any of you. He kept slaves. He didn't get it all right. And not one of us does. So let's be, let's show a little humility, eh? Let's be a little bit understanding when people disagree with us. By all means, let's discuss. But let's not fall out. Let's show a little more humility and a lot more love. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So knowledge is limited. Knowledge itself can be a barrier between people, but also between us and God. So in verse 1, Paul sums up uh, his response in a sense. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. There's a preacher who said, there are some Christians who grow, and there are others that just swell. Some Christians that grow, but others just swell. They grow in their knowledge, but also in their pride in their knowledge. I mean, Jesus, we know that, don't we, from Jesus' uh, disputes with the Pharisees. We read in John 5, he says to them, you diligently study the scriptures 
that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They knew the scriptures. They knew them so, so well. And yet all that had happened was that that had caused them to be pride. They were the gatekeepers of knowledge. <coughs> Their pride would not allow them to, to read the scriptures as they truly were. They shut their minds to Jesus. The most important knowledge is this, is to know God. That's the most important knowledge that there is, to know God. And coming to know him and to have a relationship with him. And if we do that, then as Paul says here in verse 3, the man who loves God is known by God. If we come to know him, we'll also know, as we've been sharing this morning, that we're loved by him. And there's nothing more important than that. You know, to know that we're loved by God and that therefore in Christ there is no condemnation, that we are blameless because of him and who, who he is and what he has done. So... And Paul goes on to say that they need to be careful. So knowledge is limited. Knowledge it's, itself can be a problem, can cause, cause us to be proud and can get in the way in our relationship with one another and also with God. But thirdly, there is something more important than knowledge. Now, knowledge is important. Don't, we've already said that, right? But there is something more important than knowledge. You see, these Christians, as you know, these other Christians had a problem eating meat that had been offered to idols. It troubled their conscience. Paul talks about these people having a weak conscience. We might say they had sensitive consciences. And they somehow thought that if they ate this meat, that they also were connecting themselves to these pagan sacrifices, pagan festivities, etc., and Paul says in verse 9, Be careful. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak, to those who've got these sensitive consciences. So yes, guys, you're free. <laughs> you're free to eat meat. One sense it doesn't matter if you do, and in another sense it doesn't matter if you don't. You're free to choose. But... As you make your choice, be aware of others, others that have difficulty in this area. Yeah, and it's not just about you doing what you think is right and they doing what they think is right. He says in verse 10, you see, if, if you eat that meat, if you choose to exercise your freedom to eat that meat and they see you doing it, there's a danger, isn't there? They might look to you and say, oh, here's a great Christian. Uh, he's doing it. It's okay for him. Therefore, it must be okay for me. And they go ahead and do it. But the problem is, they've gone against their own conscience in doing that. And what's the outcome? Well, the outcome is really serious in verse 12. The outcome for them, the outcome for them is that they are destroyed by your knowledge. The outcome for you 
is also serious. Because you have sinned against your brother and you've sinned against God. <laughs> Pretty serious <laughs> stuff, eh? I mean, we can't really identify with all this stuff about food and idols, can we? But maybe something that just is a bit closer to, to home for us might be, for instance, if I like to go down to the pub and have a drink with one or two of you who also like to go down to the pub and have a drink. Right? There's nothing... I would say, for me, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that as long as I don't drink to excess, etc. By the way, I know there'll be people out there who perhaps disagree with me and we're going to disagree in love or whatever else. Yeah, this morning. But, but say, I know that, but I also know that there's one of you who's got a problem with alcohol or has had a problem with alcohol. Maybe even been an alcoholic. And I go, continue to go to the pub and you see me going to the pub there's a danger there, isn't there? That's maybe not the closest, but maybe that's the sort of thing that we're thinking about for you. And people, Paul says, these people who've got a different view on this matter to you, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. These people are loved by God. They're so loved by God that we read in verse 11 that Christ died for them. And you know what? You ought to love them too. Even if that means giving up your rights, your freedoms, your privileges to do so. And look how far Paul is willing to go in verse 13. He says, therefore... If what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. I don't just mean means if he means eat in that context or just generally. I don't know if Paul's saying I'm willing to give up my steak and chips forever. If actually it's going to cause somebody a problem, all right, it's just be chips now. I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to go that far, even though I know there's no reason why I shouldn't eat meat or eat that meat. I will do that. I will do that. I will do that if that will help them. Because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love builds up our brothers and sisters. Love builds up the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 12, you know that Paul goes on at great length how important uses the illustration of the human body, how every bit of our body is important to us. Even the bits that are not seen, even the bits that don't seem to be that necessary, even the bits that look awful, etc., etc. Every bit of our body is important. And he uses that as an illustration to say that every part of the body of Christ, every brother and sister, is important to God. And therefore they're to be important to us and we're called to have equal concern for one another. And in chapter 13, verse 2, you'll know he reads these words. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I have nothing. You can have all knowledge, but if you have not love, you have, we have 
nothing. What rights and freedoms and privileges would you give up for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ? How far would you go to love them, even though you know you don't need to, in one sense? How far was Paul willing to go? He was willing to go a distance. And in chapter 9, we haven't got time to look at it this morning, but um, in chapter 9, you'll see how far Paul is willing to go, not just for the love of his brothers and sisters, but how far he's willing to go for the love and his concern for those who are not brothers and sisters who do not know Jesus Christ, particularly in verses 19 to 23. He says, Though I am free and belong to no man, what do I do? I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew, to win the Jews to those under the law. I became like one under the law, though myself am not under the law. So he was willing to subject himself to all of those Old Testament, Old Covenant ways of doing things that he, didn't, that he knew had been fulfilled in Christ and no longer mattered. He was willing to do those things if that meant that he could get alongside people who still worship that way and so that by getting alongside them he could build those bridges and he could take the gospel to them and they could know and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sums it all up, doesn't he, in verse 23. He said, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul was willing to cross all sorts of barriers. Paul was willing to go all sorts of places. Paul was willing to do all sorts of things that he knew were not necessary just so he could reach those people in those particular groups. I was work, talking to a lady this week. She, walks, she works amongst... She works among the prostitutes in a big city. Not an easy ministry. She does that because she knows God loves those prostitutes. I was reading last, uh, just recently about Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, in the 1850s, when he was just 21, he gave up his medical studies because... He knew there were millions and millions of people in China who'd never heard about Jesus. And he went to China. That was, that was pretty unusual. But what, hap what he did then was even more unusual in one sense. He said, unlike all the other missionaries that had gone, or at least most of them, that he was going to live like the Chinese. So he shaved the top of his hair and he grew those long pigtails and he wore their clothes and he ate their food and he lived in their housing and he studied their culture. Christians criticized him. They called his mission the pigtail mission. That was a, they, weren't, they weren't impressed. Hudson Taylor adopted that verse that we've just read. For the people who worked with him, he said, let us in everything not sinful, let us in everything not sinful, become like the Chinese, that by all means we may save some. Paul Hudson Taylor lived out this out. But the greatest example, the one who we are all called to follow, is of course the Lord Jesus Christ. 
How far was he prepared to go to build a bridge to us? Well, as Kim happened to read from Philippians chapter 2, I didn't know she was going to do that. But he gave up all his rights, in a sense, as God, doesn't he? And he became a man. Became a man. He became like us. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. We, we cannot begin, we cannot begin to understand what that means. It is beyond us. There's no way that we can understand that. That God, Jesus Christ, becomes a man. And being found in human appearance, what did he do? He humbled himself. We see that throughout his life. None more vividly do than we in chapter 13. When at that point he knows who he is fully. He knows all that's going to happen. And he's with his disciples for that last meal. And what does he do? He gets down from the table when nobody else is willing to do it. And he gets down and he washes their dirty feet. Humbles himself. And Philippians 2 goes on further, doesn't it? Humbled himself, he became obedient to death. He goes and faces that barrier, which for him, again, was greater than we can ever know. He faces the barrier as he cries out to his father in Gethsemane, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. He goes through that barrier to build that bridge for us. God's love builds up, builds one another up. God's love builds bridges to those that are outside of his love, or outside of his knowledge and relationship at the moment. And when we think about his love, doesn't that encourage you, inspire you to say, yeah, I want to I, I, I be willing to give up my rights and my freedoms, my privileges to serve him? I don't know if any of us will be called to go to foreign places. Maybe there are people here in this room this morning, I don't know, who God actually will put on your heart a call to go somewhere like Hudson Taylor went to China. I don't know. I pray that that happens because there are so many places that need to hear the word of God. Maybe it won't be to work with prostitutes in the city. It might be to connect with refugees here in Gloucester and to try and identify with them. It may just be to identify with the guy who lives over the garden fence who you find difficult and is a bit of a pain and you'd rather not get into conversation with him. Love builds up. Are we willing to ask God to show us who he wants us to love here in the church and who he wants us to love outside of the church in the rest of our ordinary working, living lives. Thank you.